Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance, and I'm very happy to have you with me so that I can introduce you to more Canadians in old-time radio. Back in World War II, Wayne and Schuster were to Canadian troops what Bob Hope was to Americans. After that, uh, they came back and did all sorts of uh, shows on CBC radio and eventually television. Here's what Johnny Wayne and Frank Schuster sounded like on CBC radio. Broadcasting Corporation presents The Last of Wayne and Schuster. Hooray! <laughs> yes, once again from coast to coast in Canada is the Wayne and Schuster Show with lovely Terry Dale. Samuel Hurst Norton and his orchestra. Merry Christmas. Yours truly, Herb May, and starring Canada's Men of the Half Hour, Johnny Wayne and Frank Schuster. Thank you, thank you, Smiley Burnett, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Johnny Wayne welcoming you to the final Wayne and Schuster broadcast of this season. I don't know if we'll be back on the air next season, but if we are, it'll be sometime in the winter. I overheard the program director of the CBC talking to his assistant, and he said it'll be a cold day when Wayne and Schuster work for me again. <laughs> anyway, tonight... Ah, uh, good evening, Mr. Wayne. On this hot Thursday. Yes. Oh, Mr. Schuster, you're late. Well, I couldn't help it. I had a little accident. I fell into a mud puddle. You fell in the mud puddle? That's right. With your clothes on? Well, I didn't have time to take them off. <laughs> now you know why this is the final show. Yes. Frank, I was telling our listeners this is the last broadcast of the season. Yeah, the last broadcast. Mm -hmm. Gee, I'm going to miss the laughs, the applause, and the cheers. I'm not. The sound man is letting me have that record. <laughs> John, look, we got a whole summer ahead of us. What do you think we ought to do? Well, I was thinking, Frank, let's do something really exciting. Exciting? Sure. Let's travel. What do you say we take a trip around the world? Oh, I don't know. There's so many other places I want to see first. <laughs> No, no, uh, no, Gracie, look. Yes? Look. <laughs> oh, I think it would be very educational and enlightening for us to see the world. Uh -huh. After all, the way things are going, it may not be here next year. 
Well, look, where, where do you think we ought to go? Frank, we have a whole summer to travel. Name any exotic spot you'd like to visit. Vienna, Singapore, Istanbul, Honolulu, Cairo, name it. How about Hamilton? <laughs> well, no, I was there last Sunday. It was closed. Oh. Frank! <laughs> Frank, I was talking about strange places, you know, where the customs are different, the people are different, the food is different. You're still talking about Hamilton. <laughs> Next time you go to Buffalo, you'll have to go through North Bay. You know that, don't yeah. you? <laughs> what I'm talking about is the excitement of seeing a new country, a new way of life. Now, take India. India? Sure, that's a fabulous place. It's so different. And there are so many quaint customs in India. You know, in Calcutta, there are people who pray in the streets. What? I said in Calcutta, there are people who pray in the streets. So what? We got the same thing in Toronto. They're called pedestrians. <laughs> With you driving, why not? <laughs> uh, look, Johnny, if we're going to travel, why not travel in Canada? There's lots to see here. You know what that song says, Canada's the place for me? Know it. We wrote it, That's man. Right. A little Herson, Mr. Music Horn. Oh, I mean, a little music, Mr. Herson Horn. <laughs> I've been to sunny Spain and I've been back again. I've even spent a happy day in gay Paris. Yes, we've been all around and frankly, we have found Canada's the place to be. We've been to Switzerland, we thought the Alps were grand. They were as high as any human eye could see. But we got just as high last New Year's Eve on Rye. Canada's the place for me. Oh, we will never leave this country Because there's so much that we owe Yes, we will never leave this country Our creditors would never let us go We spent a sultry day in lovely old Bombay We took a week to see the Sheik of Araby We thought those spots were great But we reiterate Canada's the place to be We took a caravan to old Afghanistan We drove on Essex right to Wessex by the sea We had some grand amours on all those Paris tours But Canada's the place to be We traveled further north than the Firth of Forth We even caught a herring in the Bering Sea We took a trip to Rome, but still we missed our home Canada's the place for me They say that you will find real wildlife Down in the jungles of Nepal But if I ever want real wildlife I always spend a week in Montreal We've been to County Cork, also New York, New York We've been to every spot that's got geography Yes, we've been everywhere and still we do declare Canada's a place to be Canada is the place for me Oh, this is Herb May. The summer sporting season on radio got underway yesterday with the Trans-Canada Network broadcast of the first plate trials. And starting the day after tomorrow, Radio Sports will have something going on for you every Saturday for several weeks. This coming Saturday, the Jacques Cartier Stakes. The next Saturday, the Connet Cup Handicap. And the one after that, the Queen's Plate. So each Saturday, have a good look at CBC Times or the radio and TV listings in the papers. CBC will be covering the major racing fixtures, the plate, of course, the Prince of Wales Stakes, and late in the summer, the Canadian Derby in Winnipeg. We'll have the amateur and junior golf championships from Calgary, 
There'll be Davis Cup tennis, the national tennis championships, and from the regatta course at Port Dalhousie, this year's Canadian Henley. Yes, keep an eye out for them. They're coming up almost every Saturday afternoon on the Trans-Canada Network. And don't forget about Curtain Melodies on Friday nights. Curtain Melodies from the musical comedy stage each Friday night on CBC Trans-Canada. Thank you, Herbert. And now here's the lady who sings for us, Miss Terry Dale. When an irresistible force such as you meets an old immovable object like me, you can bet as sure as you leave. By Terry Dale and Terry. Yes, Johnny. Since this is the final show of the season, I'd like to congratulate you on a very fine year. Well, thank you. And I would also like to remind you that we have a custom here on this program. You know that farewell kiss for the final broadcast? <laughs> oh yes, the farewell kiss. Darn that small print. <laughs> all right, you lucky girl. Here I am. Oh, all right. Wow, where did you learn to kiss like that? I used to drink hot tea out of a saucer. <laughs> anyway, say, Johnny, I... I... oh, hello, Frank. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I just gave Terry her farewell kiss. You know the custom on this show. Oh, yeah. Hey, I guess I'm next. You don't mind, do you, Terry? Oh, not at all, Frank. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, boy, where'd you learn to kiss like that? I used to drink hot tea out of a saucer. <laughs> uh, put me down, will you, please? Oh, all right. All right. See you later, Terry. Have a good summer. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Johnny. You know, I've been planning our trip through Canada. Oh, well, Frank, we'll have to postpone that. Well, what do you mean? Well, we just got an offer to appear on the stage this summer. No kidding. On the stage? That's right. They want us to appear at the Garden Center Theater in Vineland. There's a beautiful summer theater there, you know. Gee, summer theater, eh? What play are we going to do? Well, I don't know. Uh, 
Hey, how'd you like to play Hamlet? Okay, deal the cards. <laughs> no, I mean the play Hamlet. Oh. You know, the ambition of every comedian is to play Hamlet. Listen to this. Yeah, get this, boy. All right. The play's the thing wherein to catch the conscience of the king. Shakespeare. Or, if you prefer, Bacon. I prefer ham. That's why I work with you. <laughs> I prefer ham. <laughs> You're a swift Canadian, boy. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, Johnny, look, we don't have to do Shakespeare at Vineland. I'm sure that Alan Savage, the producer there, would be much happier if we did a comedy like uh, Room Service. Schuster, don't you understand? I want to do something big, mm -hmm. something important. I want to play Shakespeare. Now, listen to this. Oh, that this too-too solid flesh would melt. Do you know who said that? Cliff McKay? <laughs> no! Hamlet! Hamlet McKay? <laughs> I've never heard of him. I'm talking about Hamlet, the Prince of Denmark. He was a great Dane. Well, McKay isn't built like a cocker spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a noble mind is here o'erthroned. Look, Schuster, I just want to play a serious role. Well, that's silly. You're a comedian. Yeah, comedians can be serious actors. Look at Alec Guinness. Didn't he do a serious Shakespeare and role at Stratford? Alec Guinness? Well, after all, he's great. He's the end. Well, what about me? Well, you're the end, but the other end. <laughs> what? Now, look, Johnny, I still think that I am right. We should do a funny comedy like Room Service, not Shakespeare. Oh, all right. Lauren Green, you can breathe easier. Now, look, we better start thinking of a leading lady for the play. Now, how do you picture our leading lady? Well, I see her as a young, beautiful girl with flashing eyes, golden hair, gorgeous figure, a girl who'll thrill you with the magic of her voice when she says, This is I! Oh, no! <laughs> Madam Humperdinck! Yes, here I am, live, not a kinescope. Well, you're out of focus anyway. Look, <laughs> Madam Humperdinck, what are you doing here? Well, I, I came to apply for the job of leading lady in your summer play. Leading lady? You mean, you, you mean you're an actress? Heavens to daughter, Mavor Moore, yes. Oh, I'm a wonderful actress. Have you heard of Vivian Lee? Oh, certainly. She's very good. Well, she is known as the Madam Humperdinck of England. Oh, no. But Madam Humperdinck... That is Yes, I, I know it's you. <laughs> we are looking for an experienced actress. I'm your girl. <laughs> Why, they're still talking about my performance as Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth? Certainly. The critics said my performance could be summed up in one word. Really? Was it excellent? No. Brilliant? No. Sensational? No. Dynamic? No. Inspiring? No. I don't know. Madam Humperdinck, your memory is rotten. That's the word. <laughs> okay. Madam H., don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah, we, we've got to go now. We'll send you a couple of tickets to the play. Right. Uh, just a minute, boy. <laughs> Haven't you uh, forgotten something? What do you mean? <laughs> well, you know the custom. This is the final show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, farewell kiss? Oh, no, no, no. no, no, no. Wait, wait. All wait. right, come here, Mr. Schuster. You put me down. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And now you, Mr. Wade. No, no, Madam Hooperding. Oh, no. And here's a kiss for you. Oh, wow. Where did you learn a kiss like that? Have you been drinking hot tea from a saucer? Gracious, no. Warm beer from a barrel. Oh, no. <laughs>
if you've been paying attention, <laughs> this summer Frank and I have been invited to star in the stage production of Room Service at the Garden Center Theater in Vineland. For those skeptics who feel that Wayne and Schuster may lack the dramatic ability to appear on the stage, we offer proof positive. Tonight, from the repertoire of the Wayne and Schuster Little Players, we offer two plays. Number one, an old German drama, The Unfinished Symphony. Seen the Berlin Opera House, the time 1884. Standing on the podium in front of the famous Berlin Philharmonic is the distinguished conductor Franz von Schusterschnitzel. Suddenly in walks Germany's greatest composer, Johann Weingartner, looking very sad. Von Schusterschnitzel sees him. All right, boys, take Finneth. <laughs> well, well, look who walked in, Herr Weingartner. Ah, Herr von Schuster Schnitzler. Welcome to the Berlin Opera House. Guten Abend. Ah, what's so guten about it? My dear Weingartner, what is los? Ah. What's the matter? Ah. Haven't you brought your symphony for me to conduct? Ah. My dear Franz, I have brought the symphony, but you can't play it tonight. Why not? It is not finished. Not get finished. Not get finished. I've been racking my brains trying to find an ending. All night I've been working like a schweinhund. <laughs> I've been trying to get inspiration, but it's not get finished. I tell you, I'm ready to blow my strudel. <laughs> so take it easy. We can play it. We will call it the Ungefinished Symphony. Don't be a spitzbuber. <laughs> There is already an unfinished symphony. Schubert wrote it. So what? He's dead. He can sue you. <laughs> no, no, it's no good. I tell you, I tell you, it's no good. It's no good. No good. All right. I tried to finish it, but it didn't come to me. Look at the music. Look at it. An unfinished symphony. Too much for a single record and not enough for an LP. <laughs> It's no good. It's no good. I yes. tell you, I have gagoofed. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I have an idea. Yeah. Maybe if the orchestra performs the last part, you will get an inspiration. All right. I'll try anything. Here's the music. Play it. Good. All right. Uh, gentlemen, we will play the last 16 bars. Eins, zwei, drei. That's it. You see what I mean? It's not finished. Patience, patience. I will play it once more and think. Let the music inspire you. All right, already. All right, gentlemen. Gentlemen, noch einmal. Eins, zwei, drei. Hey, hey, hold it, oh, hold it. Stop the music. I've got it, I've got it. You have? Yeah, yeah, let me at the piano. Uh, all right, once more. Eins, zwei, drei. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
And now here is production number two, an exciting melodrama. The story of two brothers, one a gangster and one a policeman, entitled The Showdown. The scene, a warehouse on the outskirts of town. Somewhere on the roof of the warehouse is public enemy number one, Joey Callahan. Little does he realize as he hears the sound of the approaching police siren that his own brother, Detective Jim Callahan, is in charge of the cops who are closing in on him. All right, all right, boys, surround the warehouse. There he is, Jim, up on the roof. I put the spotlight on him, I'll talk to him. All right, Jim, but take it easy. He may be your own flesh and blood, but he's a murdering, no-good spalpeen. He'd be after killing his own brother. Bad cess to him. Don't worry, Applebaum. <laughs> I'll talk to him. Give me the mic. Here. All right, testing, testing. One, two, three. All right. All right, Joey. I know you're up on that roof. You coming down? Come and get me, you rotten copper. Don't be a fool, Joey. The whole place is surrounded. Come down off that roof. You'll never take me alive. Use your head, Joey boy. This is your brother Jim talking. I'll help you. If you come down quietly, I'll get you off with 30 years and lashes. Ah, keep away, Jim. I don't want to hurt you. If you come any closer, I'll fill you so full of holes, I'll play cribbage on you. Look, Jim, what are you stalling for? Say the word and I'll cut him down with a machine gun. Steady, Applebaum. We'll do this my way. I'm going up the ladder after him. But, Jim... Out of my way. Here I go, Joey. I'm coming up that ladder. Stay away, Jim. Don't come up here. Coming up after you, Joey. I warn you. I don't want to hurt you, Jim. Don't make me. You mean you'd murder your own brother? If you can't murder your own brother, who can you murder? I'm coming up after you, Joey. You're my own brother, but you're a no-good rat. You gotta pay your debt to society. Nobody can murder 24 men and get away with it. I only murdered 23. You murdered 24. Oh, there you go, counting that midget again. Coming up the ladder, Joey. I'm getting tired, but I'm coming up the ladder, Joey. <laughs> All right, Jim. This is it. Don't take another step. I'm coming up the ladder, Joey. Don't make me kill you, Jim. I'm coming up the ladder, Joey. Okay, Jim. I got my gun out, and it's pointing right at your head. I'm going down the ladder, Joey. <laughs> what am I doing disgracing my badge? All right, Joey, I'm coming up. Jim, for the last time, go back. Here I am, Joey. I'm on the roof. Don't come near me. Give me that gun, Joey. Stay away from me or I'll shoot. You haven't got the nerve, you yellow rat. You wouldn't have the courage to shoot me. Oh, yeah, take this. <laughs> you missed me. Give me that gun, Joey. What? Give me the gun. What do you want it for? It's empty. All right. Come on, Joey. You're coming with me. You'll never take me alive. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump off the roof. No, Joey, don't. Ah! No. No, he, he jumped off the roof. My kid brother. Jim. Jim. Are you all right? No, I'm not. I can't stand it. I tell you, I can't stand it. I know how you feel. Your own brother. Ah, oh, this isn't my brother. That's not what's bothering me. Well, what is it? I gotta go all the way down that lousy ladder again. <laughs> Once again, it's time to ring down the curtain on another final show, but before we do, a special nod to all the people who contribute so much to this show. Our producer, Jackie Ray, our music arranger, Johnny Dobson, Samuel Hersenhorn and his great orchestra, Terry Dale, Herb May, Eric Christmas, Ben Lennock, and of course, to those two young fellows who write all our songs and material. I, I forget their names. You don't know them? No. Wayne and what's his name? Schuster. That's it. Oh, good. <laughs> and, of course, our technical staff, Don Bacon and Dave Tasker. A special bow to, to Freddie Tudor and Ed Vincent and to the CBC for their cooperation. And a heartfelt, heartfelt thank you to all our listeners. I'm choked up, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from coast to coast. And so until we meet again... We hope that you be a booster for Wayne and Schuster whenever... We drop in to call And now the time is fleeting And so until our very next meeting Good night all You've been listening to Wayne and Schuster Show. Written and directed by Johnny Wayne and Frank Schuster. Musical arrangers Johnny Dobson. Technical operation Don Bacon. Sound by David Tasker. And this show was produced by Jackie Ray. This is the Trans-Canada Network of the CBC. Toronto-born actor Walter Houston appeared in several Broadway shows and Hollywood films. But for our purposes, we're going to hear him in the October 22, 1943 episode of Amos and Andy, entitled Courtroom Catastrophe. <laughs> Good evening. The makers of the new Rinso bring you the Amos and Andy Show with their guest tonight, the star of stage and screen, Mr. Walter Houston. Trouble is nothing new to Amos and Andy or their friends. They're usually able to cope with almost anything that comes along. However, today, George Stevens, the kingfish, seems to have run into a little extra trouble, which appears to be more than he can handle. Right now, he is in the office at the lodge hall trying to explain it to Amos and Andy. No, boys, I tell you, I, I don't want to sit down. I'm too nervous. I'm too nervous. Yeah, you sure is trembling. Oh, right. take it easy, kingfish. I can't, boys. I jammed up. I'm I really in a mess. Oh, I, I tell you, I'm being sued. Uh, what is you being sued for? Yeah, and who is doing it? 
I'm being sued by a fellow by the name of Nifty Jackson, and for no reason at all. I was just exercising my rights as a citizen of the United States of America to use freedom of speech. Yeah, I, I call him a crook, a loafer, a swindler, and a bum, and the man is suing <laughs> Uh, a crook, a loafer, a swindler, and a bum. Yeah, do the Constitution allow you to say that? Uh, well, there's uh, freedom of speech, there's four freedoms and all that stuff. Yeah, I only call him four. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, if I'd have called him a thief on top of that, that made five freedoms, then the man got a kiss against me, you see. Oh, that's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, when did you do it? Oh, uh, here's the whole story. A few weeks ago, I, I wrote this fellow, Nifty Jackson, a letter. Now, in the letter... I called him those names, and now he's suing me for $1,000. He claimed I done smirched up his reputation. Oh, that nifty Jackson didn't have $1,000 worth of reputation to smirch up. Yeah, well, that ain't what counts. So tell me, Kingfish, uh, how is you going to handle the case? By getting a lawyer. Oh, I'm going to see the alley lawyer that hangs around back of the jail. I'm going to see him. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sir. He charges big money before he's going to give you any advice. Where are you going to get the dough to pay him? Brother Ender, I think I got a great idea for that. I was going home now and see the little woman. <laughs> Honey, your engagement ring don't sparkle like it oughta. Well, what's the matter with that ring? Oh, that diamond used to look like the 20th Century Limited coming in at night. Now look at it. Not a twinkle in the thing. That's a beautiful diamond, though, George. Yeah, but the thing needs cleaning. Let me look at that. Yeah, look at that. That, that thing needs... Give me that ring. I'll take it over to the jeweler, and I'll have him give that a good cleaning. I want my wife to sparkle like other women sparkle. There's nothing sloppier looking than dirty diamonds. <laughs> now, look here, honest Joe. You ought to give me more than $15 on that stone. That's the top price, Kingfish. You see, the way we figures is on the color of them. Blue white stones is worth the most. The plain white ones is fair. And the yellow ones ain't so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yellow bad, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, what color would you say this one is? Well, Kingfish in the trade, this is what we call a jaundice diamond. <laughs> Uh, yellow, huh? Yellow and cloudy. <laughs> Even a yellow diamond, you're supposed to see the daylight through it. Fact is, Kingfish, looking at this again, I see it's muddy, too. Oh, give me the $15. Just give me the $15. That's enough. Now, now, look, uh, here, 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 here what I want you to do on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you, you take the stone out of the ring. Now, here is a rhinestone that I got at the 5 and 10 cent store. Put this in place of it. And I'll take it home to the little woman and put it back where it was. Oh, all right. I'll make the switch for you. Uh, tell me this. Uh, you think that my wife will notice the difference? Well, if she does, it's only because the rhinestone looks better than the diamond. Well, Kingfish is your lawyer. There's two ways you can settle this case. Oh, uh, what is it? Well, the first is to pay the man the $1,000. I like the second way better. <laughs> well, I ain't told you what the second way is yet. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I know I'm going to like it better. 
Well, the second way is the result of some pretty heavy studying. I skimmed over several similar cases, looked over the whole legal aspect of the case, and it is my personal opinion as an attorney that there is a way that can't fail. Now you talking. Now, now, what is that? Tell me that. Well, scare the pass off the other lawyer. Scare him so bad that he'll drop the suit against you. Put fear in him. F-W-E-R. Fear. <laughs> well, now, I don't know about that. Uh, that's going to take a lot of thought and time. Uh, there's nothing else I could do, huh? Well, there is a third way. Oh, uh, what's that? Uh, the third way ain't included in the $15. Oh, I see. Uh, the money that I have paid you only includes two ways. Yeah, it runs approximately $7 and a half away. Yeah. <laughs> you see, the reason the third way it runs into extra money is because it's all postgraduate stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> stuff I done learned after my diploma was framed and on the wall and everything. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just can't afford it, though. Uh, but, you know, come to think of it, that second way ain't bad at all. Put fear in the other lawyer. Yeah, that's just what I'm going to do. What took you so long, Kingfish? Well, after I went over to the pawn shop, I had to sneak back into my house without my wife seeing me and put the phony ring back in the jewel box where she keep it. And then I went to see the alley lawyer, see. Oh, yeah. Well, what did the alley lawyer tell you? Yeah, well, my alley lawyer told me to put fear in the man. Fear? Yeah, you know, people are more scared of fear than anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, how are you going to do it? Now, look here. When I meet Snifty Jackson's lawyer, I was supposed to make him think that I was tough. A cold-blooded, mean, tough guy. I was supposed to make him think that if they don't drop that case against me, I'll be able to beat them both up. Uh, when do you start this one-man reign of terror? I start raining right away. Yeah, it, it, it just happens, Andy, that Nifty Jackson's lawyer, a man by the name of Mr. Nelson, called me up, and he wants to meet me at 4 o'clock this afternoon to see if I want to settle. That is when I'm going to show him how tough I is. Yeah, well, how can you make a man scared of you? Oh, it's going to be a cinch, Andy. i tell you what I'm going to do. Oh, wait a minute, wait a Here's my man now. Come in here, Lightning. Uh, what did you want to see me about, Brother Kingfish? Uh, Lightning, for certain reasons, I want to be a tough guy. I want you to find me a man that will let me punch him in the nose, and I'll give him $2 for it. I'll let you punch me in the nose for $2. No, Lightning, I got to leave friendship out of this. <laughs> Get me a total stranger, a nice-sized fella. Can you do it? Uh, yeah, sir. Now, good. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, Lightning, you know where Sam's lunchroom is? Uh, yeah, sir. I'll be there at 4.30 on the dot. Me, Andy, and a lawyer. I am. Now, we'll sit down so there'll be an empty stool next to me. Tell the man to sit down next to me on the empty stool and order a hamburger and have him say, with pickles, onions, and mustard. I'll know it's him when I hear them words, and I'll pick a fight with him, and I'll punch him in the nose. Yeah, so I'll get busy on it right now, and I'll have the man at the lunchroom at 4.30 sharp. Okay, Lightning. Well, I sure hope everything work out all right, Kingfish. Oh, it can't miss, Brother Andy. The whole idea is foolproof. Punching the guy in the nose, scaring the pants off the other lawyer, hocking my wife's diamond. Why, Andy, within a year, I bet they'll be teaching this stuff in every law school in the country. Hello, Sam's Lunchroom. Is that man 
man sitting at the counter by the name of Kingfish Stevens? No, ain't nobody here now. All the stools are empty. Uh, well, I supposed to uh, have a man there for him at 4.30 sharp, but I couldn't find one for him today. But I'm sure I'll have one there for him tomorrow. <laughs> well, i tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll call up the Kingfish in about five minutes. Okay. Uh, go right on in, Mr. Nelson. Right on in there. Well, I don't know why we're going into this lunchroom. I don't want anything to eat. It won't take long. Uh, I'll sit on the end stool here, Kingfisher. Mr. Nelson, you sit next to me, and uh, Kingfish, you sit down there. Uh, could we have two hamburgers, Sam? Okay. Uh, excuse me, I'll lean down here and tie my shoe. Uh, you know, Mr. Nelson, this Kingfish is a tough guy. Anybody makes him mad or cross him, he's a fighter from the word go. Uh, what are you fellas talking about? Ha, ha, ha. Just feeling my muscle in my right arm here. Got to have the sleeve made bigger. Uh-oh. Here we go. Uh, well, uh, look at that. There's a fellow sitting next to Kingfish. What do you have? Uh, one hamburger, please. One hamburger? Oh, uh, put some pickle and onions and mustard on it for me, will you? Well, Andy, we're right on schedule. Here I go. Say, bud, uh, will you pass me that salt up here in front of us? Sure. Here you are. Pass the pepper, too. Okay, here it is. Uh, pass the ketchup. Ketchup? I, I don't see any ketchup. Listen, I done took just about enough from you. Stand up. Uh, watch this, Mr. Nelson. Watch. What's the matter? Uh, put up your dukes. I'll show you what's the matter. Take this. Here. Look, Andy, the kingfish is opening his eyes now. Oh, me. Where is a... We brought you over here to your office, Kingfish. You was laying on the sofa. Oh, me. Every bone in my body aches. See if you can open that left eye of yours, Kingfish. <laughs> Who was that fella that I got into fight with? Well, he seemed to be a pretty nice fella. He even helped us pick you off the floor and carry you over here. Oh, what did you put on my nose, boys? Uh, we didn't put nothing on there. You mean that what I feel there is all nose? Every inch of it. Uh, here, Kingfish, here's a piece of beefsteak I got you for your eye. Let's put it right on there now. That'll help take the swelling down. Oh, me. I still could have licked that fella if it'd been a fair fight. Well, what wasn't fair about it? He was a head shorter than you was. Yeah, well, well, well that's where I had advantage of me. You see, I had my arm up guarding myself like this. And he was so short that he got under my guard, and before I could get him from under there, I was on the floor. That's right. Well, Kingfish, that whole plan of yours was a flop. What is he going to do about the lawsuit now, Kingfish? Listen, boys, the alley lawyer has got a third way how that I can handle the whole thing with the judge. But he won't tell me unless I give him $5 extra in advance. Well, I just ain't got it, Kingfish. Then I is flat broke. I got to get fired out of somewhere to find out how to handle this case. Listen, Amos, I tell you what you do. Go over to my wife. She's got some money that she's going to give the landlord today. Ask her to let me have five dollars of that. All right, I'll go over there and see what I can do.
So you see, that's the whole story, Sapphire. The kingfish needs the money to pay a lawyer. Well, I ain't got it, Amos. Eisen already paid the landlord the rent this morning. And another thing, I ain't seen the kingfish. Where is he at? He didn't come home last night. Oh, he's all right. Uh, he was uh, sort of stretched out on the sofa resting when I left him. Uh, he's been mixed up in a lot of things here lately. Well, is he well? Is he eating? Oh, yeah, he's eating all right. Uh, a fact is, the last time I seen him, he had his eye on a steak. <laughs> well, Amos, I'd like to give him the five, but I just ain't got it. Wait a minute. I know what I'll do. Oh, has he got an idea? Amos, it's at a time like this that a wife has got to stick by her husband, no matter what the cost or the sacrifice is. I is going to raise the money for that lawyer. Oh, that's wonderful. How is he going to do it? I've gone out and pawned my diamond engagement ring. It's been a busy morning in Judge Houston's court where the kingfish will appear later in the afternoon. But right now, before the kingfish's case comes up, the judge is concluding another case just prior to his noon recess. Motion for a new trial denied. James Edward Farrington, you as defendant in this case are entitled to no sympathy from this court. The crime for which you were originally brought here is insignificant compared to your attempt to alter the opinion of a court of justice through bribery. Sentence just imposed upon you for attempted bribery is extremely severe. Let it stand as a lesson to those who are of the belief that judges and juries can be bought and sold like commodities in a public market. The judicial system of this country has built up a reputation for honesty and integrity over a period of many years. And as judge of this court, I am going to do everything in my power to do my part in preserving that reputation. Bailiff, take the prisoner away. Be a recess for lunch. Court will reconvene at 2.30. Are you going to lunch, Judge Houston? No, I'm just going to have a glass of milk. This last case has upset me somewhat. I have a little headache. I think I'll go over to the park and sit down on a bench and get a little fresh air. There's nothing that infuriates me like a man trying to bribe somebody. <laughs> Well, let's sit down on this park bench here, Brother Andy. Yeah, you got about 45 minutes before you got to go to court. Yeah, it's all prepared, though. Like I told you, the alley lawyer told me all that stuff, how to handle Judge Houston. You know, he's the judge that's going to handle my case. Tell me this. How did you raise that $5 to pay the alley lawyer? Oh, one of the brothers at the large hall, let me have it. Oh, I was all set to take care of this Judge Houston. I got the box of cigars on my arm, a yeah. couple of bucks in my pocket. Uh, do one of your men have a match? Oh, uh, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir. I, I think I got one here. Uh, Thank you very much. There you go. Thank you. Mind if I sit down here? Oh, no, sir, no, sir. Uh, move over there. Yeah. Where are you boys from? Uh, we live up around 125th Street. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, my friend here, the Kingfish, is waiting to go into a coat over there. Yeah, going over to Judge Houston's coat. Oh, is that so? Ain't gonna take long, though, I guess. No, it ain't gonna take as long, because I knew exactly how to handle that judge. Mm -hmm. Oh, you do? No. Oh, well, how do you handle Judge Houston? 
Well, first of all, I got a box of cigars here. Yeah, I'm going to slip him damn little bribery stuff, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And only five cents cigars, too. Plenty good enough for him. <laughs> five cents cigars, huh? I suppose you saved the ten cent ones for the Supreme Court cases, huh? Oh, sure, yeah. And another thing, if the cigars don't work, why, we got a few bucks in cash for the judge. Mm-hmm. You mean to say that a judge, uh, let's say, for instance, this Judge Houston can be bought? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he can be bought, but he certainly can be rented, I know that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. These days you can get to them. Well, that's very, very interesting. Tell me more. How would you, uh, well, how would you reach Judge Houston? Oh, that ain't hard at all. Judge Houston reaches awful easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our lawyer told us all about how to handle it. Well, uh, Judge Houston ain't no more to us than nobody else is. He's just as crooked as the others, you know. <laughs> Oh, this uh, Judge Houston is a crooked judge, Joe. Oh, yeah, sir. He stuffed his own ballot boxes. That's how Judge Houston got elected, yeah. <laughs> the man is crooked as a snake. You know, he wears one of them long black gowns in the court, they tell us. Somebody hand him a box of cigars, a couple pounds of steak, a few dollars. All I got to do is shove it under that gown. Ain't nobody going to see it. <laughs> well, I see. That's, uh, that's what those gowns are for. They sort of make things uh, disappear. Oh, he knows to it when you get a judge like Houston, I'll tell you. Well, I still don't see how you expect to do something like that in a court. Oh, as a sense, the most important thing is, uh, wait a minute, look, uh, I'll show you just how we work it, uh, just how we bribe the judge. Yes, I'm glad to know these things. Uh, well, now, now, let's suppose that this is the courtroom right here, and we'll use this bench we're sitting on here uh, for the judge's bench. Uh, Andy, you can just stand here and kind of watch the thing. Now, you must... Uh, uh, can you make believe you as Judge Houston? Well, that shouldn't be too hard. Uh, okay, then. Uh, the trial has just started. Uh, well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, you got to get on the stand, Kingface. Yeah, all right, Mr. Uh, you play like you, Judge Houston. Now, you asked me to get on the stand. My name is George Kingfish Stevens. All right. Will the defendant, George Kingfish Stevens, please take the stand? Yeah, now, uh, wait, don't take the thing too serious, then. <laughs> Yeah. After all, we just talking the thing over here, mister. Oh. Now, now, I was in the chair on the witness stand. Now, I leans over to you and I say, uh, hiya, judge. Then I say to you, listen, Houston, old boy. Uh, can I come behind the bench there and speak to your private confidential and under your hat? Now, as the, the judge, uh, you say something back to me, you know. Anything you have to say to me, you can say it to this court. Yeah, so, oh, wait a minute, mister. You can't talk that way. <laughs> yeah, so, just a minute. Look here. You see, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to show you something. Now, you were supposed to act like uh, you was Judge Houston. I don't think you get the idea of what we're trying to do here. No, no, you don't get the idea, mister. Uh, so now, be more natural. Now, look, uh, I'm going to say to you here now, I say, now, all right, now, I'm on the witness stand, and, and you sitting on the judge's bench. I say to you, I say, judge, old boy. Judge, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a little package here for you. Now, give me an answer to that, and I'll show you. Any package that you have that has any bearing on this case can be opened in front of the court. Yeah, well, you see, Judge... Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, the, uh, 
Uh, Mother, you can't talk that way. But there again, I feel that that's what a judge might say. You do, huh? Oh, I see someone coming for me. It looks like I might have to be running along. Well, I'll uh, see you again soon. Yes, we may meet again very soon. Excuse me a second. I hate to bother you, but there's a long-distance call, and the operator says it's person to person. For you, Judge Houston. All right, I'll take it. Goodbye, boys. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> what? Oh... Uh, you remember the man that was sitting here on the bench with us? Yeah. Remember the man that walked up to him? Yeah, uh-huh. When he walked up to him, think now, Ender, did he call him... No, I ain't going to eat that because I knew it. <laughs> That, that, that's a, that'd be a seven million to one shot. That's the biggest coincidence that ever happened in the world. Yeah. Now, look here. The man was sitting here. Right. Uh, now, another man walked up to him. Ain't no question about that. You heard every word he said, ain't you? Yeah. When he walked up and told him about the long-distance telephone... Did he call him something that started out with the letter H? Yeah. Now, listen, Andrew. Think good. Pull all your brains together in one lump. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something. Did he call him? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So I say, in the case of Nifty Jackson versus Kingfish Stevens, the plaintiff has shown no evidence of libel. A mere letter mailed in a sealed envelope to the plaintiff does not constitute libel in the eyes of the law. The case is dismissed. Before I adjourn court, I would like to say something purely for the benefit of the defendant. A black robe worn by a jurist is a symbol of justice. It is never worn to hide anything. Court adjourned. Andy, brother Andy, where is you? Andy, come over yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Andy, it's over, brother. Andy, it's over. Put it there. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to tell you something, Kingfish. I want to tell you that Judge Houston's show was fair with you. Oh, I say it was fair, Andy. I ain't never been this scared before in my life. After what we done said to him in the park. Yeah. Oh, this has been a great lesson to me, brother Andy. I ain't never going to do nothing again that will get me in trouble with the law. My skirts is clean, and boy, I'm I going to keep them that way. Yeah, well, put it there. Put yeah, it there. put it there. Come on, let's get out of here. Yeah, uh, pardon me just a minute. Are you George Stevens, the uh, kingfish? Oh, yeah, so that's right. Does I George Stevens? Uh, what do you want to do, take my picture or something for the newspaper? No, I have a warrant here for your arrest. A lady is having you arrested for pawning the stone out of her diamond ring. Wait a minute. That ain't no lady. That's my wife. <laughs>
Be sure to be with us again next Friday evening at this same time when the makers of Rinso again bring you the Amos and Andy Show, at which time Amos and Andy will have as their guest the fine picture actor Mr. Franklin Pangborn. Meantime, this is Harlow Wilcox speaking for all of us, thanking Walter Houston for appearing with us tonight, and bidding all of you a pleasant good night. Well, it looks as if we have time for a little bit of music, which I think is as much a part of old-time radio as anything else you might happen to hear. We heard Walter Houston in that episode of Amos and Andy a couple of minutes ago, and now we're going to hear him sing. He participated in a Broadway show called September Song in 1938, So let's hear his recording of that lovely piece of music. When I was a young man courting the girls I played me a waiting game If a maid refused me with tossing curls I'd let the old earth take a couple of whirls While I plied her with tears in place of pearls And as time came around she came my way As time came around she came But it's a long, long while From May to December And the days grow short When you reach September And the autumn weather Turns the leaves to flame And I haven't got time For the waiting game And the days turn to gold As they grow few September November And these few golden days I'd share with you These golden days I'd share with you And the wine dwindles down To a precious brew September November And these few vintage years I'd share with you These vintage years I'd share with you Thank you so much for allowing me to acquaint you with two more Canadians in old-time radio. See you next week. Bye for now. (laughs) ¶¶
If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.